quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Dawn of Mantis again, Sam. Yeah. That was a great first episode with Bruce, but guess it what? Was. Because of your magical editing skills, you cut that thing into two episodes. I did. So now people have two weeks of Bruce and not just one. He's a very winded man. He is. And he's got the radio voice from heaven. Yeah. Anyway, listen once again to Bruce episode two. What's the official title, Sam? I'm not good with those. Oh, it's called Storytime with Bruce, Story I believe. Storytime yeah. with Bruce. I like it. And he's got more of them. He does. Yeah, we'll have them back. We've barely even scratched the surface. So enjoy it. Quiet your mind. I think you ran sound when I played with Rick Hancock out at West Silo. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but I played with him in the middle 90s. Okay. And we played all over this area when you could play all over this area. Yeah. And he had this guy, older dude, that would follow us around that had a... Vehicle like the first manager of the Wonders in that thing oh. you do, you know, <laughs> this guy's got a above average recreational vehicle. And he would make this moonshine that tasted like cherries and almonds. Okay. And I mean, you could just suck it, you know, it was like the combat juice type of stuff that you could just suck down and all of a sudden, you know, you try to get up and well, wait a minute, what just happened here? <laughs> it was that bad. And he'd give, us, give it to us at gigs and it was like. You know, by the third set, it's like brain damage. Golly. This is the yeah. same amount you gave me last time, right, Sam? Somewhere around there. Okay, and I was fine last time. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go ahead and polish this off then. I'm not going to go blind or, you know, or... No. no. All right. As a side <laughs> note, before... I don't I don't care if you're recording or not at this point, but, um, you know, like I said, I've got 10 grandkids. See, I'm, I've got to write this story because I haven't yet, but you've seen it on Facebook. Part of my parenting philosophy is make the kids think I'm more unhinged than they are. Okay. That's my theory. So, you know, just like, you know, when I introduced my kids to my father, I'm like, you know, you better behave or else he will bake you into a pie. <laughs> Where that came up with that, I have no idea. But like, when they, they first meet my dad and they're just sitting there like scared to death of him. And then my dad in his infinite wisdom like pulls out his teeth. But my, I guess he is my youngest, my youngest grandson. His name is Winston. They all have grandbaby names. His is Dr. Winston O'Boogie. Yeah. Okay. All right, which was John Lennon's nom de plume when he would write with other people. Oh. But anyway, he fell down the other night somewhere and like skinned his, well, tore open his knee, his kneecap, had to have 11 stitches. Wow. And I'm talking to his mom. I'm like, well, you know, is he all right? He's like, well, they gave him something before they did the stitchery that made him sing and make animal noises. I'm like, well, shit, at this point, he's going to be fronting a band by the time he's seven. <laughs> I'm like, you, they throw him a hydro and he's singing and doing animal noises. I'm like, I've played with that guy before. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Well, see, now his older brother, he's five years old, almost six, but wears size eight, nine, probably 10 now clothes. He's huge. All right. Okay. All right. Now it's like, what's his grandbaby name going to be? Well, there used to be a show called The League. And in one episode, 
the pregnant woman trades naming rights of her kid for a first round draft pick oh my God. <laughs> to the stoner of the group. And he's like, you know, it's Chalupa Batman McAllister. And I'm like, well, you know, Emily, you know, your kid's going to be named Chalupa Batman. But no, no, he's Cameron. And I'm like, okay, Cameron Robert. I'm like, oh, okay, Cam Bob. Chalupa Cam Bob. All right. Now, I'm also a huge fan of the show Letterkenny. Oh. Where they call each other nutsacks all the time. Oh. And I would chase him around like, come here, you little nutsack. Yeah. So his grandbaby name <laughs> became show. Chalupa Cam Bob Nutsack. But it's always nutsack for short. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, of course. When he was that. three, I took him to a ricochet show okay. over in Branson. And, you know, he'd never seen anything like that, much less, you know, Ricochet show. And it was in a theater, nice padded seat, and he's watching. He's just taking it all in. And then after the show, you know, I walk him around stage. You know, he's seen all this stuff he's never seen before. Sure. I'm like, well, why don't you, you know, come with me and meet Uncle Heath, Uncle Chris, and Uncle Larry. And I take him around to the bus, you know, and they're standing by there. And they'd already seen everything I post on him on Facebook, you know, where he's the nutsack. And so I'm like, you know... I'm like, Cam, this is, you know, this is Uncle Heath, Uncle Larry, Uncle Chris. And they're like, hey, nutsack, you know, and very, you know, and he just walks up in front of Heath, who's like 6'4", you know, really tall. And he just looks up at him. He's like, my name isn't really nutsack. <laughs> like, like, you know, that was some kind of mystery. And Heath just lost it. And he's like, you know, next thing you know, it was like, we're going to have a tour named that. So we have these, you know, limited edition shirts, you know, my name isn't really nutsack tour 2019. Oh, wow. Now. Fast forward to, you know, earlier this year, he was helping his dad take care of his grandmother's farm over in Huntsville. And, you know, he was telling me about it. I'm like, well, what, what do they have you doing? He's like, well, I feed the chickens and I gather the eggs. And I'm like, of course, you know, <laughs> I didn't want you're to not doing that. I'm like, you know, you're a better man than me. So <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, is that funny? He's like, oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. He's like, because, you know, the nicer I talk to those chickens, the more eggs they give me. I'm like, oh, he's like, yep. I just walk in the door and go, hello, ladies. And then I pick up the eggs. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this kid's got game already. <laughs> you know, so I'm telling the rest of the guys, like, so the next tour shirts will be the hello, ladies tour. Yeah, yeah. Hello, ladies. He's got character for sure. Oh, God. Speaking of the they nutsack. All, they all do, but yeah. Speaking of the nutsack thing, you remember the Wonder Years? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you remember how Kevin's older brother always yeah, used to call plain. him Scrote? Yeah. Scrote, yeah. Oh, yeah. How did that get by standards and practices? Exactly. I mean. They probably didn't know what it stood for. I didn't either until way, way later. I think I bought it on DVD. It was butthead and Scrote. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, smooth move, Scrote. And then finally. Like, I, how did that get by? Uh, yeah, because yes. I'm a little bit older than you. So I'm they, like, how did that get by standards and practices? They were probably just uninformed. I would imagine. <laughs> it, it wouldn't have gotten through. He oh, called man. him Scrote. Oh, my God. Today, it'd have been like, oh, done. You're just toasted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'm with you on letter, letter candy, sir. All the time, like my wife and I will throw, will throw those quotes. Like, I'm going to have to ask you to take that back 10 to 15%. There's oh, yeah. Damn. yeah. Back off 10 to yeah. yeah. You know what the beauty of that show is? You almost have to watch every episode about two or three times. Yes. Because you miss something. So much. When they go on those riffs. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It Holy goes so shit. fast. Oh, yeah. I have a letter Kenny Shamrock's. Oh, hockey jersey. Oh, wow. Yep. I love the coach when he gets so. Oh, yeah. God this damn is so embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> love Joe, that show. Don't yeah. you have an impression of the preacher? Didn't oh, you? I love the preacher. Oh, Glenn? Glenn. Oh, man. Oh, that's. Yeah, Wayne ain't my friend on Fartbook, but I wish he was. Yeah, I love Glenn. Oh, yeah, God, the Fartbook episode. Oh, my God. Was it like. Third or fourth one or something. Yeah, it was very early. Yeah, the fart book very episode. Yeah, if we oh, could get yeah. enough people playing the butt trumpet. Yeah, that was that was hatched up by the meth heads. Or when they or when they have to go they have to go into the church to get out the possum that buried itself under there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's and it's so hot 
He's not wearing any pants. Yes, yes, yes. Well, come on. You two can take your... We're good. Yep. Oh, awesome. And then Derry gets bit by the possum. <laughs> yes. To the point yeah, where he's like, right. to the point where he's like rabid, and he's like drooling and stuff. Yeah, they take him, him a dogger. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's such a great show. Hey, here's a question. I was gonna, and like I said, if this is a, a, a bummer or dumb or not oh, a good question. You'll have to work really hard to say anything or ask me anything that's either going to offend me or cause me to beg off unless Ooh. unless there's a legal reason or something, you know, or you no. know, unless there's a reason that has nothing to do with me. I was just like afraid the, you know, the other story. This wouldn't lead to something if this doesn't lead to anything cool. But I guarantee as much as live music as you've played, I just wanted to ask, what's one of the crazier bar because you guys were talking about brawls earlier. Oh man. What's one of the crazier like barroom brawls that you've witnessed? Oh, boy, because, you know, there used to be a club out on the east side of Fayetteville called Club West. <laughs> I remember Club okay. West. And you were good for a fight a weekend there. There was always something. There was always at least one every time we were there. Now, right off the hand, one, you know, to distinguish one above the many, you know, right. I can't do it. But there was, I mean, that club's got history. It had history even before, because they had a house band that was there for a long time. And all those guys are good friends of mine. Larry, that played steel for him as the steel player for Ricochet now. Was, that, so. was Carl in that? Carl Thomas yes. was in that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's told me many stories about oh, Club I'm West. Oh, I'm sure. Bring him Bring him in. I mean, he could fill your three hours with stuff about Club West probably far more than me. Yeah, the, didn't he they was, call it Club Death? Club or, Death, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, it had nicknames. well, because, you know, it was like, oh, somebody got killed there. Well, yeah, somebody tried to cross the street. Carl was yeah. there that night. He told me that story, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, right. That happened. But then, you know, when they started booking, they dropped the house band concept which put Carl and those guys out of a job for booking a different band every week, which gave us another booking and <laughs> yeah. things like that. And, you know, they had, you know, a, oh, about a mile or so away, they had a band house, which, you know, if you waved one of those wands that shows DNA, it's going <laughs> to it's <laughs> Light up like a oh, Christmas tree. <laughs> good Lord, it's going to be bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. But as far as any distinguishable fights there, you know, I mean, there were just so many, I don't know if I could pull one out. Yeah. I've wondered that about like my childhood home where I grew up, you know, it's like I've thought about and you guys, you can you can admit it or not. It's up to you. But I've thought about like, man, if they ever went into my bedroom, my childhood bedroom <laughs> with one of those lights, my God, it would it would the whole room would glow. Well, they would already my be shocked God. by the socks standing <laughs> by themselves in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming they've left the carpet, they exactly. may have changed it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, all yeah. right. One story that comes to mind about Club West. Oh God, I'm a burn for this one. But you know, they used to have national acts in there too, and you know, we got to open for a lot of them when they were there. And I'm going to reserve the name of the particular singer right now, but he had one of the largest fan bases I'd ever seen, if you were measuring by the metric ton. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> I know this is, yeah, I'm going to burn for this. I, I know it. And, and <laughs> wasn't Billy Ray, was it? I'm not saying it. No, okay. it was not. I, I, I will say who it's not. I will okay, say who it's okay. not. It's not. It was not him. Well, let's keep guessing. No, I'm kidding. I know, but, but it was like, no. you know, of course, that just led to so many just awful jokes. Like, well, as soon as he got hit the stage, there was like a stampede. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, these are just writing themselves. I'm just going to burn for this, you know? And it's like... <laughs> It's like, does it is a truck gonna back up here at the end of the evening Meep. just to load them all back up? Meep. You know. Sorry. Whatever. I'm yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna burn. 
I'm, you, you got another oh, glass of that stuff? Uh, anyway, <laughs> good lord. Uh, but yeah, that's you know that's w- one of the memories I had at Club West. But oh, one thing that was all right. This is an interesting story about this is that you've heard of Rascal Flats. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, oh, yeah. you know Joe Don, the guitar player, is from over in Pitcher, Oklahoma, and he used to play at a country music show over in Eureka. And when on Sundays, that whole cast, band and everything would come over to Club West on Sunday nights where it was supposed to be like a jam. I mean, we would still be there playing, but it was like a jam and we'd, you know, get up and play with them and stuff. Joe Don was just a fabulous player. Just, yeah. He was really shy, though. Okay. And um, he was really cool. He remembered, you know, like my old roommate Dan was the DJ there for a long time. And he had brought in a copy of uh, Praying for Daylight which was their first hit mm-hmm. before yeah. it was a hit. Yeah. And I remember being there, you know, talking with them one night about that. And it was like, at that time, that was all they had recorded because if that did not hit, they were done. Really? I'm just like, wait, what? Thinking about that. It's like, what a weird. So they had a mutual agreement that. It was like, you know, I don't know how that agreement went with, you know, their record company or whatnot, but, sure. you know, the record company, you know, they paid for them to go in, they record this one, one song. It wasn't like they were recording an album for distribution. They got one song and they released it. And if that song did not hit, then, you know, nothing else was going. To oh, okay. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. Now, fortunately for them, it went through the roof. Sure. Right. But I mean... It's a lot of pressure to put on one one song. song yeah, one song. They had one song. Praying more for than just daylight. Yeah, <laughs> they had one song to make it, and you know, and if that song doesn't hit, then we don't know who they are. Damn. Uh, and man. I thought, wow, that's yeah. You'd never get you. We never would have heard. I can take the rain on the roof of this empty house. That don't bother me. Yeah, there's so many good songs. They redid Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway. Yep. Yeah, really did. good version. That was one of the only ones that remembered the first goddamn version They did that of it. for cars. Where did Tom Cochran have success before Life is a Highway? Lunatic Fringe. Fringe. Yeah. I know you're out there. Oh, wow. I yeah, that was Tom Cochran. Red Tom Rider. Cochran, Red Rider oh, wow. from Canada. Yep. Okay. Yep. I only know that because of James Dunham. We were just talking about that one time, and he was like, you know, you know how James is yeah. always like, knows everything about that shit. He's kind of a Encyclopedia useless information, but, <laughs> but, but, but the king is before you. So, you know well, I will say, <laughs> I can say that now because James is like, James is probably, he had like his knee replaced today. Oh, that was today. Yeah. That was today. Oh, yeah. Oh so, my God, I got so, text you know, since he's on like heavy medication and whatnot, he can't defend himself. So, <laughs> I am the champ when it comes to this. There so, you go. Yeah. All right. Useless information. I, yes, that's right. Shot well, over the bow. Speaking of that song, I, when Rascal Flats came out with it, I said, oh, the Tom Cochran version is a lot better. But then I heard it a few years later, and I was like, no, Rascal Flats outdid them. I did them right. I mean, what do you guys think about that? I just felt like with the harmonies, and it was just more of a full song, right? They both serve their purpose. Because I guess, yeah, in, you I know, guess in a rock context, true. it's like, okay, a good song. Yeah. Throw it on the country charts and put you know the Rascal Flats name behind it. Yeah, that's you know. true. I will always prefer the Tom Cochran version just because I have fond memories of it. I oh, was living true. in Great yeah, Bend, Kansas with yeah. my parents and my sisters, and it would come on VH1, and we would crank it up. And you know, yeah, that's anyway, true. I will that's always true. prefer. But the Rascal Flats version is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just the harmonies. That's oh what yeah, I think highly produced. Cream. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. yes. Truer words never spoken. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else? Do you have another one up well, there in the pipe? There's one you might like, oh. Joe. It's called the Keister Method story. Oh boy! All right. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm yeah, already it, intrigued. It's going to be everything you think it was. Too, <laughs> okay. But, you know, All right. You couldn't do this now, but I did it way back when, when you first decide you're going to hang out your own shingles as an attorney, you know, solo, you, you don't know squat. And how are you going to get business to feed your family? And someone had told me, get on all the appointed lists of various places. Like I said, you couldn't do that now, you know, because at that point in time, the public defenders weren't involved with like the municipal courts, the district courts, the juvenile courts were always needing someone, which leads to another story. And you could also have felony clients through the circuit courts. And sure enough, you know, once I got my name on that list, I got one. And it was a guy that was charged with, oh, terroristic threatening because he threatened to kill a Rogers cop because he thought the cop was screwing his girl. I mean, it's, it's a convoluted story, but, you know, but he'd also been in the pen a couple of times before in Florida. So, you know, he, you know, he couldn't make bond. He'd um, signed over a couple paychecks to me to, for, you know, my own purposes and to put money on his books and whatnot. And, you know, he just figured, you know, look, I've got a bunch of priors. He always told me, yeah, I didn't do this shit. This cop's making this up, but whatever. But uh, another felony is not going to affect my reputation any. So, you know, just cut the best deal you can. Okay, fine. Now, back then, if you had, the, the jail was behind the courthouse on the square. And it wasn't that big. And if you had an overflow, they would send the overflow pl- prisoners to the Asylum Springs Jail. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Now, you actually wanted to get sent to the Asylum Springs Jail because at Benton County, you couldn't smoke. Your meals were, you know, loser's lunch, bologna on hand. You know, they wake you up at 6 in the morning. You have to stay awake. Don't go back to sleep. And, you know, just the general BS that's involved in like being in general population. Whereas you go to the Asylum Springs Jail for the overflow, all your meals were McDonald's. Oh. And you washed cruisers all day long. You just washed cars. I've seen them long. out there doing that in their stripedy pants. They do that all, Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's still true. Well, wow. you're outside. And, yeah. and yeah. the kicker is you could smoke as long as it was bugler. Now, if you smoke at all, bugler is the roll your own things. Mm-hmm. If you go into a tobacco store, it's like a blue can about so big with rolling papers, tobacco, and yeah. whatnot in it. Yeah. You know? So, you know, he gives me a call, you know, collect call from a correctional facility. Uh, this is Jim. Hey, uh, I'm over at Siloam. Can you bring me some bugler? Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine. I need to talk to him anyway. So, you know, I'm use some of that money he gave me to go buy him a can of bugler. I go over there and they put you in this little room. They called it the attorney room off to the side, you know, just, just enough room for, you know, a desk and a couple chairs, you know, you sit across from each other and I'm, I'm going through, you know, I hand him the can of bugler and I'm going through what I'd found out going through the reports with him. You know, and he's opened the can of bugler and he's taking some papers out and he's some tobacco and he's rolling a couple of cigarettes. Right. And then there's still a little bit of that tobacco left, and I see him with this little plastic sheet of paper. He kept you know, folding over, folding over, folding over, rolling it up, rolling it up, rolling it up. Oh, I already see. And by, you know, by the time I'm done with my <laughs> dissertation about his case, you know, it was like compacted to a little ball about like that. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, finally I'm just like, you know, dude, I sat here this whole time and you rolled that thing up into a little ball. What's up with that? He's like, well, I'm probably going to have to go back to Benton County in a couple of days. You know, I've got these two to smoke while I'm here, but I may need something more by the time I get back to Benton County, so I need to take this with me. I'm like, well, how did you plan on getting it by the guards? And he's like, well, the keister method, and while he's saying this, he reaches down back behind his pants. And oh, while he's locking eyes with you. Yeah, sticks it, it up his Sticks it right up there, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. I got to go now. Well, wow. Needless to say, I did not shake hands with him on the way out the door. And the I spent the whole time in the drive back home thinking... 
is there anything I could put there that I might possibly want later? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, I, I had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, you know, then you come to realize when you start, you know, you listen to YouTube long enough, like Larry Lawton is a guy that did a bunch of federal time and whatnot. And he's entertaining to listen to. And he talks all about prison life and whatnot. Sure. You know, and he'll tell you, and it's like, you know, I mean, he, talk about sophisticated. It was like, it's like a test tube almost like, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's far bigger than that little package of smoke that he had. This like, They just become more professional, like to where they could take more and more, I guess. Which I sounds bad. <laughs> that sounded I, really bad, I, I bro. didn't even mean it to sound that bad, but <laughs> I don't know. It well, is what it is. It is what it is. I'm not sure you could phrase it any better than that. But I mean, yeah, it was like that. Was, but, you know, I mean, I'm just. You know, even though I thought I was somewhat worldly, I mean, it's the first time I'd heard of anything like that. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's why the whole drive home, I'm like, <laughs> what, what do you put in your ass that you want later? It's like, shit, I can fit it. It's a- like, you know, here's a stick of gum. No, no, no. no I got no. a DVD of Friday and a can of Dr. Pepper yeah, up there. Here's a basketball. I'm a professional. Oh, God, you know. <laughs> well, I guess there's a problem with people trying to smuggle stuff in to the country in the airport and they put some kind of high-powered drug up there and it would... If it were to be nicked, you're dead. You're dead, bro. Yeah. Or you're going on the ride of your life. <laughs> and then you're dead. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Well, yeah. like Cody, who we've, we've interviewed before on our podcast, he was uh, he worked at the sheriff's department for a short time, and he had the wonderful job of having these guys bend over, spread cheek, and, and cough. Yeah, squat and yeah. cough. Yes. Yeah, yes. squat and oh, cough. Oh, yeah, that happens. And he's like, dude, you have no idea what all I've seen. And I was like, I don't want to know, man. But Oh, yeah. How would you get past that? How would you safely retain this item and, and yet still... Squat and cough. You know, I don't know how anything gets past that. Uh, mine's only been an exit, so I could not tell you. <laughs> They're coming from jail to another jail, so they probably didn't check that area, right? Maybe I mean, not. Probably no, just... they just naturally, you know, at that point, they probably just naturally assumed that, you know, he's not walking like, you know, yeah. something's splitting him amidships. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you were talking about earlier, walk normal. Like, what's normal? How do I walk? Yeah, well, I walk normal. Well, I'll tell you, this is a t- this is only a thirty second story, and that's why I'll tell it. I've told it before. When I was like six, seven years old, or something like that, I had a sore throat, and my dad took me to a doctor. You guys know this story. Okay, he put on a rubber glove and applied lubrication to it, and he put his finger up there for yes. a sore throat. <laughs> yes, I will never forget that. Let me ask you this: Did he have a hand on both shoulders? That's, you know. Because, you know, that just, it's like you're there for a sore throat. It's like, I'll bet he had a hand on both shoulders. I'm just letting you know now, you know, it's, it's a distinct and relative possibility. And little Joey didn't ever have a sore throat again that he complained about. I didn't think about it till years and years and years later. And I was just like, I was just living my life one day. And it was just like, it just snapped. And I was like, wait a minute. Here's what all right. I, 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 may, I may have to write a story about this, but this just leads to something that's not on the Playtone Galaxy of Stars. It's not on the docket. Okay. Yes. All right. So you know, when, I'm 58 years old. So you know, when you hit 50, you're supposed to get a colonoscopy. Oh Jesus! All right. Okay. And you know, and you're supposed to get them. Well, I've heard 10 years after that. But the thing is, like when I had my first one done, I had like six polyps. They were all benign, fortunately. But you know what they do is they sear them off. They like burn them off. I mean, I'm out cold, so I don't know any better. Right. All right. You know, then I had one. I had one, my first one when I was 51, and then five years later, I had another one. And when I had the second one done, I had seven polyps. Now, they were all benign, and they went to sear them off and, you know, cauterize them. Basically. Yeah, yeah, I got you. you. Know, is what that is. But they, there was one out of that seven they couldn't stop from bleeding. Okay. So they had to put a little metal clip on it. 
I realize this is all TMI, but you know, yeah, no, no. But when I get to the end of this, I didn't know this. That so existed. you know, so I wake up, you know, after this thing is over with, and they come to me and they're like, "Well, you know, we found seven polyps. We'll send them to pathology, just you know, standard operational procedure." You know, I'd had them before. I wasn't really that afraid because they were all benign before. But then they hand me this card. I'm like, "What's this?" I'm like, "Okay, well, that seventh one, we had to put a little metal clip on." Okay, now we figure eventually, you know, it'll go out in the drain at some point in time, but we don't know when that'll happen. So, you know, if you have to go into a courthouse or fly at some point in time, <laughs> there's a possibility this will set off a metal detector. And if it does, you are to show them this card. Wow. That'd be hard to explain. <laughs> well, well, without the card, yeah, so that's smart. Even to this day, I mean, with the, my job that I have now, I go into courthouses all the time. Of course, you know, me being who I am, I'm more than delighted to show them this card. I'm like, here, you need to see this before I, you know, walk through there. Why? It's like, because I might set this off. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, yeah, but that's absolutely true. And I'm assuming it's passed because I've flown a couple of times and been to the courthouse a couple hundred times. Never bleeped. No, but yeah. I, I was hoping it would. <laughs> yeah. I was genuinely <laughs> hoping it would because they would go through that wand and be like, beep, you know, and just like. I don't know. You want to look? Go ahead. <laughs> a few years ago, when I when I flew somewhere, when I went through the metal detector, they said, "Stop, sir. We need to pull you to the side." I'm like, "Oh, I'm just one of those random people." They pull to the side, and they got another handheld metal detector, and they're like, "And I, I'll just have on like shorts and underwear that like don't have anything in my pockets because they're all in the basket, right?" And so they're just like interested in my right leg, and they're just like they keep putting the wand over it. And she goes and talks to another lady, comes back, and they just keep scanning. And she said, could you pull up your shorts, sir? And they, like, put me in an area where no one could see. And I just pulled up my shorts so she could see my underwear. And she goes, okay, you can go. And they never told me what the deal was. But then I was thinking, like, I had these weird American Eagle print boxers on. And they have, like, a bunch of crazy graphics. My wife bought them for me. And on one side is, like, the Statue of Liberty, and it's really dark ink. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hey, what? What's up with this? So I Googled it, and dark ink has, like, traces of metal. Metal. Wow. So, so when, you look at, when you look at those underwear, it looks like I have, like, a, not a joke, a huge weapon or something, like... <laughs> On my right leg. <laughs> yeah, it does. My, uh, you're proud of yourself. Yeah, exactly. well, you yeah, right, sir. Exactly. No modesty it's here. Just kind of crazy. <laughs> so when we went to Vegas about a year ago, I was like, I'm not taking those underwear. I'm not right. going to pull to the side for right. some kind of crazy. It just made it an area of interest, I guess. An area of interest. Yeah. Yes. I've never had an area of interest in my underwear. Yeah. I'm jealous. No, in fact, you know, I, 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 I no, this is bad. This is, all right. This, I'm going to burn for this one too. Now I call my junk Joe Biden because, <laughs> you know, it, it leans slightly to the right and it's nobody's first choice. So, <laughs> That's a great description. <laughs> now, here's how I almost got kicked off an airplane. I think it was one of those flights to Vegas. Not long before we got on this flight, you know, within a week or two, there was some pilot that got busted for being drunk. Mm -hmm. You know, they yeah, the seat him and everything else, right? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I get on the plane and, you know, they come down the aisle to serve you pop and, you know, peanuts and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. well, sir, what would you like to drink? And without thinking, I was like, I'll have what the pilot's having. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't see the humor. I love it. They're like, sir, we don't see the humor in this. Would you like to be, you know, I'm like, come on, it's jokes. Yeah, that was in the news a lot a few years exactly. ago. Exactly. So I thought it was a legitimate yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. But it was relevant because it... I yeah. guess they didn't agree with me. You don't want to be halfway <laughs> through your flight and you hear like... 
You ever wonder how a plane flies? <laughs> They're so heavy. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. That would be good. Oh. I'm going to tilt down just to get a look at the ground just for a minute. But I'm going to pull back up. Don't worry. We're about to fly over my house. So what yeah. else you got there, Sam? That let's, uh, <laughs> let's do one more here. Hang on. What oh, make it a good one. This one takes us oh, back man. to Vegas again. Oh, I love it. The Vinnie Paul story. Oh, man. Okay. That'll be a good one to all end right. on. Yeah, because there, yeah, it entails a couple of three things all at once. Last three years I did the NFR, we were at Mandalay Bay. And the way they had set, they had a big-ass stage, but it was connected with a sushi restaurant, which was really weird, like right across the stage and dance floor and whatnot. And then there was a sushi restaurant, which was, you know, kind of cool before you started because I love sushi. But anyway, you know, nice big stage, everything else. And we would play there after the NFR. And like, like one night we were playing, what was it, uh, Chris Young's Black Dress? Oh, yeah. Home. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, when we're playing it, he's walking by. So no he, he walks by in front of the stage, flips his $100, waves at us, and then keeps walking out the back door. Awesome. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. Well, then another night, we're doing Justin Moore's Till My Last Breath. All of a sudden, I see this really weird throng at the back of the room, and it was him with his entourage and his manager. And next thing you know, they like came making their way up to the stage, and they threw him on. And he sang like the second verse and the last chorus, and you know. <laughs> and then somebody was like, "Hey, the bass player's from Arkansas, so you know, we got a bunch of pictures with him." Another night, I see these guys towards the back, and they're all like long-haired dudes with leather jackets and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, these are turds in a punch bowl. What are they doing? You know, doing here, right? <laughs> and one of them kind of looked familiar, and I couldn't quite place him, but you know, I was like, whatever, you know, I'm just playing, and. I get done and get done with the set, and I go into the bathroom and take a leak. And then all of a sudden, this guy that comes in, he's like six foot five, 300 pounds, just made of muscle and shaved head, but he had one of the leather jackets on. He's like, Hey, man, you need to come to our table. I'm like, Okay. He's like, You know, I'm Vinny's bodyguard, Vinny Paul. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. that Okay. That's who that was. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, he's like, Vinny kind of figured you weren't country. I'm like, I just want to tell him I, I probably played more country than I have anything else, but am I country underneath all at all? Yeah, probably not. I mean, hell, I grew up in Indiana. I don't, you know, I, I yeah. came to Indiana knowing Elvira and On the Road Again. And that was what <laughs> I knew about country. That was the extent of it, you know. Really? The last podcast we were talking about that, it was like, if you'd have told me in 1987 that a year later I would be in Arkansas and playing with a, oh, yeah. a country band, much less some of the bands I've played with, yeah. you know, I would have told you you were out of your mind. But it's Here good money, right? It's like, you're just going to go with it. It turned out, it was like, you know, yeah, I was like, well, gee, that the country stuff pays a whole lot more than The Rock was paying. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'll drag him into the present with this, too. Like, I grew up in South Bend, where Notre Dame is. Okay, yeah. And, you know, Notre Dame football's everything, you know. Yeah. And back then, I was like eight or nine years old, and they used to do this thing where they would condense the games down to about an hour. They would cut out everything between the plays and all the commercials, and you could watch a game in an hour. Oh, okay. And I'd watch that on Sunday mornings. And yeah. On NBC, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, And my mom would see me there with my little gold helmet in the football, you know, watching the games. <laughs> like, you know, you really like Notre Dame? Like, yeah. Do you want to go to Notre Dame? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Dame play football. Well, you know, there's other schools out there that have good football teams, too. And I'm like, well, they existed. I didn't know of them. Yeah. And my mom was originally from, from well, she was born in Little Rock, raised in Jonesboro. Okay. She went to ASU, but, you know, the only real football school in Arkansas is U of A. Yeah. And course. she's like, well, you know, Arkansas is a really good football team. I'm like, okay. 
Well, then, like, the next week, I'm clicking through the TV, and I see an Arkansas game on. Okay. And all I see are these yahoos with, like, snouts in their noses <laughs> and pigs in their head going, whooping suey. And I'm like, that is the last place I will wind up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mark my words. Mark my words. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, this, you know, the bodyguard, you know, I was like, yeah, you're, you know, basically, you're, you're coming with me, which I wasn't going to argue with him anyway. So, you know, he takes me to the table, and there's Vinny. Wow. Well, here's the thing is that when the national finals is going on, that's like the anniversary of Dimebag getting killed. Oh. So for a while, he would medicate by going out to Vegas for, you know, during the NFR. He's from Texas. He's okay. not, he's no stranger to rodeo. Sure. But he's just getting hammered because, you know, he didn't want to, th- you know, yeah. either he's no think about, he's thinking about Daryl or he doesn't want to think about Daryl. I don't know which, but he was, you know, he, he would just get absolutely hammered. And, but, you know, he's richer than God. So he's passing around trays of everything, you know, and I'm hanging out with him and the guitar player from Hell Yeah and, you know, just talking stuff. And he damage was talking plan. about damage plan. And he was talking about, you know, he's like, you know, you can't live in Texas and not, you know, have a little bit of country influence. And I'm like, you know, he's like, we recorded an album with David Allen Coe. Oh, yeah. He knew his country. Okay. He wasn't playing it, but, you know, it was just a cool experience hanging out with him. And, you know, and then I think he came out the next year after that. And it was kind of like the same thing, you know, it was like, hey, it's that guy, it's that not country guy, you know, (laughs) and, you know, okay, fine, let's do, you know, here's Black Tooth Grin, let's go. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, and what, a couple of years later, he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it that country paid you better than... I don't know. I don't know, but it's... I mean, pays better. I think... Well, I, especially true now, I think. I mean, I think there's a wider audience. General appeal it. more. general appeal. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, doing some of the rock, like, you know, you were doing Night Trainer, like, you know, Hollywood Riot's doing. I mean, I love yeah. that stuff. I mean, I, yeah. you know, but... Wider audience appeal. I mean, yeah, because if I look around my family, they would most of them would prefer country too. So that does make sense, especially in the South. The but. three of us have had conversations because we've all been in bands and stuff, and, and we're all not now. But if we ever were to foray back into it, we've all said that we would love to do kind of like. 80s, 90s country. Yeah, which is funny because it's like, all right, what would you like to do now? And I'm like, I don't know, either 80s metal or there's, you know, <laughs> the opposite. I'm like, I've yeah. been there, done all this. So yeah, that's like, true. Give me an 80s metal band, you know, which I'm still working on with, you know, Mike and, or, you know, there's a Todd Rundgren tribute band to be had somewhere. I'd be, yeah, I would probably quit everything I'm doing to, to do that. So, because. By the way, if, whenever you get the chance, uh, there's a YouTube channel. I think it's called JSK, Jason something cats. And he's from Australia, but he has like a 10 part Todd Rundgren uh, documentary that oh, he's done. It's okay. phenomenal. Oh, wait a minute. I, I think it's four parts, but I think I've seen it, but I'll You've check seen it out. It? Okay. I think I've seen it, but yeah, it's really well done. It's really oh, good. Really good. I've watched it. It's re- I mean, it's been years and years ago, but yeah, it's fanny. That's off the subject, but it's really great. So, are you going to play for Ricochet and then Moonlight doing metal? That won't mess with you at all? You just like- are, you, are you kidding? I'm like, in, let's see, in a couple, three weeks, I'm going to Memphis to play at the International Blues Competition. Oh, Ooh, wow. With um, Jeff Horton Band. Oh, okay. Who won the local competition, but then they rescheduled it because of COVID. And when they rescheduled it, his ba- the bass player he had at the time couldn't do it because of work and whatnot and ended up leaving the band anyway so it's like well i get to go to memphis for free do you need any awesome. prep time for that or are you pretty much still yeah, well here's the thing is that i play a jam night every other monday with jeff and then we rehearse oh, once okay. a week so okay. you know and it's if you've ever been to that it's like 20 25 minute shows oh, okay. there's like 100 bands there so they're cycling them in and out you oh. 25 minutes and then out the door wow. it's like plug and play 
So, you know, you've got to go in with, you know, a tight 25 minutes, don't go over. And, you know, it's pretty cool. I've done it a couple of times with other bands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I've said, I said to someone the other day, if I get to a point where someone or either I or someone else says, I'm a insert genre here, bass player, then I probably am going to quit. Oh, okay. You know, it's like, oh, you're a country bass player. Well, but uh, I'm over here doing this and over. All right. I'm a rock bass player. Yeah. All right. No, I mean, I mean, from playing bass a little bit, I could see that. I mean, I could see how bass could be something that you could switch really easy to the. the I have a really not easy, but easier. I have a really weird, blessed, charmed existence. Okay. I mean, I don't know if anyone else shares this or not. I mean, I turn down during any week. I turn down more than I'm taking in. Okay. Just because you know, one thing or another, either like you know, a oh, bass player can't make it on such and such date. Can you do this? Well, if I'm happy to be open, yeah, I probably am. Okay. Yeah. You know, because there was one year, it was like, oh, there's this thing called the Arkansas Country Music Awards. And I normally just don't give a rip about that, but I was playing with another group at the time where the, that was something to them. So they were like, well, you know, why don't you put something on Facebook and, you know, maybe people will nominate you for it. Okay, whatever. So I kind of like, all right, here's my stump speech. And I started thinking about it a little bit, you know, and which always dangerous. And uh, it was like, well, you know, see, during that calendar year of 2018, I'd played 108 gigs with 15 different bands and ended the year playing with 1996 Vocal Group of the Year Ricochet. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> now, did I get nominated? Hell no. They didn't even give me the time of day. Huh. Which I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm not bitter. <laughs> yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, it's like, but, but <laughs> I am. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I mean, it's like, played 108 shows with 15 different bands. Yeah. And, you know, not all of them were country, not all of them were blues, not all of them were rock. I mean, it, you know, it ran the gamut. So, Bruce is a different kind of hooker. <laughs> <laughs> a musical one. <laughs> yeah, we covered this last... We were all hookers. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just the amount of time That's we true. spend on our back. Yeah. <laughs> so... So, what, out of all that, what is the most, like, difficult technically, would you say, that you play... Who boy, that's tough to say because nothing I'm, nothing I've done is really you know, like you know I'm not playing Rush or anything like that. None of the, none of it's technically daunting, but like with Ricochet and Wade Hayes, for example. Uh -huh. All right, you know, I mean I've been with Ricochet for three and a half years now. I've done a number of shows with Wade Hayes over the years. Um, number of rehearsals that we've had there. That's it. Uh -huh. I mean it was like show up, know the songs. You know, at least with Wade, you know, I bring a book with the charts in it, and, you know, and read the charts while I'm doing it. Yeah. And I could probably do his show now without reading those charts because I've done it enough times. But it, like the first time we had to do it, it was like, you know, I met him, you know, during sound check. We went through one couple songs and then it's like, you know, the show comes in. Here's your set list. I'll read the charts and go through it. So, I mean, you know, is there anything technically daunting about that? No, but I mean, I'm going in with no rehearsal. Sure. And there's 18 songs. Go. Yeah. And there's somewhat of a demand that you do it exactly like the record. Yeah, yeah. And I could see that. Those are his songs. Those, you sure. Know, they're not coming to hear me play a bass concerto over anything he does. Yeah. It's like, you know, I tell people about the first conversation I had with Heath Wright before I wound up with Ricochet, because he called me October 1st, 2018. He'd called me a couple times before, but I couldn't do it because I was booked somewhere else. But he calls me up like, All right, I know you're not booked October 11th. Like, you're right, I'm not. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're We're not. We're going to Kentucky, but you're not going to be able to rehearse. I'll send you the, the set list. You learn the songs. 
and I don't know if he heard this about me or whatever, but he's like, you know, for note for note transcriptions of the Ricochet songs, go to YouTube. In other words, you know, it's like the hint of learn those songs like the record. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And then later on in the conversation, he said something about note for note transcriptions of the Ricochet songs. And then uh, I gotcha. I'm like, all right, this is a recurring theme. All right, learn the Ricochet songs note for note. Anything else? Not entirely fair game, but yeah, had a little leeway with some of the cover tunes and some of the sure, you know, other things. But like the Ricochet songs, learn those note for note. Yeah. Period. End. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, it's like, well, wait, I like the way Michael Rhodes played on this cut, but guess what? I'm going to give you my interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> no. Probably would, you know, go over like a fart in church. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, you're there primarily for the money, so you want to make them happy. So you That's can quite all right. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm fine with that because, you know, it's like you know, like Wade, for example, I what, a whole bunch of number ones and a lot of top 20s in there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll play those like the record all day long. Yeah. Ricochet, three top 10s, three top 20s, and a number one. Not a problem. You yeah. Know, I'll play those, you know. Yeah. So, like wow. I said, you know, not paying for my interpretation. Yeah. And I'm not the face of the franchise, which is probably a good thing, too. <laughs> I have a voice for radio, but I have a face to match. So, <laughs> we don't even, we have neither. We're screwed. You, yeah. You make <laughs> me the face of your franchise, and you are in trouble <laughs> from well, the beginning. I just love to hear stuff like that, just the kind of the background, the inside inf- information about stuff like that. You know, is it, is it technically difficult? No, but you know, you're talking about eight, 18 songs that I'm not rehearsing with a band all the time. I mean, yeah. I mean, scared, poopless. Yeah, you know, rehearsing them at home to make sure, you know, even though I knew I was going to be able to put my little music stand with a book there with it, but still, it's like, oh, I rehearsed my ass off at home for it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. You know, difference between <laughs> practice and rehearsal. Yeah. But we weren't having a rehearsal. You, you practice at home and then sound check. He wanted to go over a couple songs and he figured if, you know, two he picked and we nailed them, then we, he figured the rest were fine. Yeah. Do you have permission to ask one more question? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> what time is it? 830. 8.30. Fire away, I don't care. I mean, who is your favorite bassist? That's one thing I have not asked you out of two. Oh <sighs> boy. All right, this is what I'll tell you today. Because right, if, get- if you ask me the same thing tomorrow, I'll tell you something different. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably Getty Lee. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. I mean, because that's, you know, I get it. we got into the story the last time. I don't know if I've written this down yet. I'm probably going to have to, but I mean, when I first started playing bass, every guy in my neighborhood had guitars and drums. And well, drums were out because the noise in the house. Guitar, my dad bought me this guitar, a little plastic amp and whatnot, you know, and I was going to buy a book and learn myself. And it's like, oh, you need to have a pick. These are sausage fingers. They're not conducive to having a pick. So I thought I was dead in the water, and a friend of mine was like, you should play bass. And I'm like, wasn't exactly sure what a bass was. I just figured it was a four-string guitar. And then so we started listening to things, you know, here's what a bass is. Here's, you know, and one of the things was Atlanta Rhythm Section, Champagne Jam. And there was this bass solo in there, you know, and I'm like, I heard that bass. I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's very cool. Well, then I looked at the album and if you look at the back of the album, it's like this really huge fat guy with really like long frizzy hair and horn rim glasses. And I'm like, well, I don't, didn't want to be him. <laughs> but then I saw Gene. I'm like, well, all right, I could probably do that spit and blood and fire stuff. But, you know, then realized that wasn't part of the gig either. But, you know, I was learning slowly but surely. But then like one of the Rush albums came out and I was just like, oh, wait. Mind blown. Yeah. And then in 1980, I went to see Van Halen on the Women and Children First Tour. And their opening act was this band from Buffalo, New York called Talus, whose bass player was Billy Sheehan. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And I'm about 10 feet away from him. I was like, you know, festival seating, standing up watching this, you know, and he's just doing all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, anybody want to buy a bass and an amp? Because (laughs) I'm not going to be able to hang with that. 
Yeah. Well, then I went to IU and then I and wound up getting involved in funk bands. Okay. Yeah. I mean, told you the story before about being the only white guy in a band for a while, you know, playing Prince and Cameo. And it's like, hey, this is cool. Got to get really good really fast, right? Well, I had to learn quick, but yeah. You know, yeah. Well, see, Ivan's a, a longtime bass player, too. Well, he, he played bass in the band that we were in. And well, the thing so. that I've always said about bass, and this might be the only smart thing I ever thought of when it came comes to bass, it's like you're on your own bandwidth or your own frequency. Like the drums hit there, too, and sometimes the guitar will, you know, if somebody turns their bass knob up too much, they kind of match you there. But really, if you're playing bass, you're kind of there on your own, like very distinctive. And I always liked that about it, you know? Well, and you're the link between rhythm and melody. Exactly, yeah. You definitely know when a bass is not in the yes. song. Yes, the minute a guy stops playing during a song and he's like fiddling with something, the yeah. bass, it's like, whoa. It's like the whole ass just dropped out of the song and it's yep. just not there. That's when you realize how important bass is because everyone's like, uh, but you know, it's not the sexiest. Everyone wants to be the guitar player or the singer out there licking the microphone or whatever. And <laughs> really? it's like, the bass is everything, man. Yeah. See, like, you know, I have a dog at home, and I tell her all the time that, you know, this, the difference between you and me is a supposable thumb. <laughs> all right. Now, <laughs> applying that to bass, it's like, you know, the guitar player can play a C chord all day long, but if I play an A underneath it, guess what? You're an A minor seventh. Yeah. By oh, God, yeah. You are, you are what I say you are. That's yeah. true, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think you you're run, the root. I you, love that. You think you run the show, but guess what? I'm going to let you think you run the show. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know. This is going to be cool, but I'm going to let you think it's your idea. <laughs> well, that's cool stuff. You're right about yeah. that. <laughs> Next time you're back, we're going to have to get into some wrestling stuff because... Oh, damn it. If you think I am a encyclopedia of useless information when it comes to music, wrestling, I'm probably even worse just because I was actually in you know professional wrestling before I you know had an inkling of playing anything. This is a picture my buddy sent me today. Oh, my God. Flair is the... Flair's the all right, all right, all right. Hang on, I gotta tell you. Yeah, right. let's do a wrestling thing. Now that, right. and that's exactly this is exactly why when I wrote out the intro for Bruce, that's Arn Anderson. Was, all right, I gotta tell you this story on the way out though. Okay. So to, okay. To, okay. to segue to when I come back and do wrestling. All right, all right. because nice. you know, I've been an unabashed wrestling fan since I don't know the Earth cooled. Okay, <laughs> when the Dead okay. Sea was just sick. I mean, it goes back that far with me, right? And you know, when I started going to law school, you know, there was still one of my best friends this day, and we lived together most of the time I was there. He's from Dripping Springs, Texas. Not Springs with an I, it's with an A. And Springs. Spring. You know, and <laughs> he was just as bad, but he just was just would not admit it in public. But, you know, I knew he was just as bad. One night we were hanging out at an apartment that we shared, and it was like we figured out that the WCW was going to be in Barton Coliseum that night. And it was like Fabulous Freebirds, Flair versus Luger, Steiner Brothers. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, to preface this a little <laughs> bit, like, you know, the first time I met Mr. Drippin' Springs, we met at Old Post Office down there, you know, and he hadn't been around a whole lot of people from the north, you know, and we, we were, well, where are you from? Where are you from? It's like, I'm from Indiana originally. It's like, Indiana, you must be a Yankee. And I'm like, well, no, a Yankee is someone that plays baseball in New York which obviously I don't do, <laughs> or, or a foregone conclusion of that war that you guys lost. <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God, we're going to be friends now because that's, that's, you know, that's, that's some pretty smart-ass stuff, right? You know, so we'd always, he'd always make that whole northern-southern distinction with me, right? Sure. Which, you know, underlying theme. So anyway, you know, we grab us a 40 of something and start heading towards Barton Coliseum, which I didn't realize was just such a dump. But anyway, somehow or another, we snaked ourselves into, like, fourth or fifth row seats, you know, on folding chairs by the ring. 
And in front of us, there were these two girls wearing these like Lex Luger airbrush jackets with photo albums of like Polaroids of like, you know, here, oh, this is, you know, hey, here's me and Scott and, you know, I'm not, not groupie type stuff, just pictures with them. Cause I mean, Scott these, Steiner. Yeah. Okay. Like, that, that type of thing. Okay. I mean, cause I mean, God, this, I'm going to burn for this one. These girls were as tall laying down as they were standing up. <laughs> so, I mean, I wasn't sure whether or not, you know, I'm like, oh, these guys were, these are the groupies for the wrestlers. Then I'm probably in the right profession because, you know, <laughs> I'm going to burn. But anyway, yeah, it's like, you know, I've, I've turned to Sean. I'm like, they're blocking my view of the solar system. Um, you know, it's like, you shut up. You shut up because, you know, he's like, I'm physically afraid of them. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, we're sitting there watching this and, you know, we're in the fifth row and I'm turning around looking like the bleachers behind and I'm thinking, you know, if they instituted a two tooth minimum at this joint. We might be one of about 10 people here. I mean, I mean, and, and you know, it didn't take much to sell to these people, and I guarantee you they thought this shit was real hook, line, and sinker. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, so it's like one match comes out, and it's like Tracy Smothers and somebody else that were like Texas. They had the cowboy boots and the cowboy hats, oh, okay. and they were wrestling what was it was Kevin Nash before he was famous, huh. and something called the Minotaur, you know, and they were oh, like yeah. from Whoa. Detroit, dark some dark thing from Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, and so of course you know from you know from so and so Texas, woo, you know you know from Detroit, Michigan, boo, you know, right, yeah, oh, right, yeah, right, right, and of course you know Sean's like, see, you know, see how the things are, you know, north south type thing, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Well, then the next match is the fabulous Freebirds from Atlanta, Georgia, boo, versus the Steiner brothers from Michigan, yay! And I'm like, well, Sean, where's your fucking logic now in this, right? <laughs> right, okay, yeah. you know, and he's like, I don't know what to tell you there. But the whole thing was great. But the like the main event was Flair and Luger. Yeah. Okay. Everything else is here. But when Flair's there, it's it's oh, there. Oh, forget about it. Because yeah. sure. he went an hour. I mean, they went an hour easily. Like Flair talks about, he could do this with a broom. Well, he was with Luger. He may as well have been doing it with a broom. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it was like the best hour of performance art I've ever seen in my life. Because I don't know anyone that could enrage fans. Like Flair? To Flair like a near riot. Because, yeah. And, you know, and he he probably wrestled the same match he'd done the night before and will do the next night. Sure. You know, but he, I mean, it was like 60 minutes and all the bells and whistles, you know, he's going to shake Luger's hand. He pulls it back, woo, you know. And yeah. Then, you know, and then, you know, then strut that. away from him. And then you, you look behind and you see the toothless minions just like ready to kill him. Yeah. You know, and then later on, you know, throw Flair into the turnbuckle. Styling and he does the him flip. profiling. You know, he'll do the flip and come back around yep. and all that. And then jump, all, you know, and I mean, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And, you know, the big finish is Luger gets in Iraq and, you know, and puts him down. But but, but six, it was 60 minutes. I mean, he did a full 60. That's crazy. And I'm just like, I mean, and they, they wanted to kill him. They yeah. were ready to kill him. How much yeah. coke do you Mint think went one. up his nose? <laughs> Who's Mike <laughs> Flair. Have he you watched? Says he, never, he says he never did. Really? If you look up, like, Ric Flair's promos on YouTube. Oh, I just think that. And his eyes are like that big he's around like saucers. I'll tell you what right now. His voice but, is cracking. And Have you ever seen the 30 for 30? Yes. I mean, you know, he didn't say anything about drugs, but, you know, he's like, evidently, he was in the bag, you know, drinking about just about yeah, every day, bad. according to him. Have you seen the plane ride from hell one? Oh, Where's, yeah. Oh, dude. That oh, doesn't bode well for that. Ric Flair. All right. Yeah. The one thing to look at if you find it, though, <laughs> is Bill Burr talking about Flair's 30 for 30, because Burr's like, 
that's some of the best comedy. I mean, every line he delivers in that is like a closer. Because it's like, you know, like, Rick, how long were you faithful to your first wife? Oh, about a day. You know, like, oh, that's a closer right there. You know, I it's love like, Bill Burr, it's like, man. well, you know, Me too. well, Rick, did you ever try going out sober? You know, when you went out after these matches, he's like, I don't know. I never tried it. <laughs> oh, it there's another closer. Yeah. Like, it's like some of the funniest stuff yeah. you've ever seen. You know, and of course, that's where, you know, if you read some of my stories, I call my first two ex-wives Defendant 1 and Defendant 2, <laughs> you know, and, and I kind of stole that, I think, from, I don't, I don't know if I stole that from Flair or someone else. It's like, you know, call her the plaintiff. That old WWF and stuff, that's when I was a kid, I ate that stuff up. So next time, oh, whatever yeah. you want to wrestling, tell. we got to just Junkyard go. Dog, I love all the, I love oh, all those guys. Yeah. See, now I go back to Dick the Bruiser, the original Sheik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh boy. What about Superfly Jimmy Snuka? Was he around that time or later? A little bit later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was around the time I was watching. That was Junkyard Dog, had, Brutus the Barber the, Beefcake. Then they had the cartoon, and that further drew me in. Do you remember the cartoon? Yes. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> sp no, speaking of Lex Luger, did you see that? It is the worst thing I think that ever happened in the history of mankind. <laughs> they wrote a song for him, I think called Hero. They were really trying to elevate him, oh, like yeah. even above Hulk Hogan. Well, oh, wow. it's, it's well, whenever he was doing his feud with Yokozuna. Yes. So and it was they, like the, and they gave the, him the USA. Bus and did the bus yeah. Oh, the yes. USA thing. Oh. Yeah, because they talk about how that was just, you know, because he didn't quite have the charisma right. to pull that off. He just did. Yeah. It is the, let's close this episode out with that song. <laughs> it's, and the song doesn't, you can't. Fully grasp the cringiness of it without the the video. Now, yeah. all right. So now, kind of leads me to another story. When I was in law school over at U of A, I went one point in time. There was a guy in one of the classes that had played 13 years in the NFL, and this was at a time when I mean he'd played for the Green Bay Packers for most of it. Well, that's where Lex Luger had tryouts. So I mean, him and Lex were like friends. Oh wow. And this was a day when, like, roids were, like, commonplace. Yeah. You know, so he was, like, saying, you know, Lex enjoyed, you know, the PEDs way back when. But it was like, for the most part, Lex is a pretty low-key guy. But evidently, you put a helmet on him, and it's just pure freaking insanity. Because, mm. you know, you figure that he was 18 years old. He got kicked out of Penn State. Yeah. Transfers to Miami. You, The U. Yeah, the U. Gets kicked out of there. Now, what do you got to do to get kicked out of the U? <laughs> That's like, how many drugs do you have to do to get kicked out of Guns N' Roses? How does that work? <laughs> it's the same theory. He's the 19 years old. The in the 90s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. He was 19 years old playing in the CFL. But, you know, just constantly trying to get back in the NFL. Yeah. Then he was, you know, he didn't have to be quite as cut. So, you know, he's like 6'5", 300 pounds plus. Yeah. You know, and huge. Not near as ripped as he was when he was doing all that stuff. But it was like... You know, they were doing seven types of steroids at once. They, didn't give a shit. they were shooting anything anywhere because it was, you know, it was legal, it was prescribed. No wonder he's like he is now. Yeah. Quiet your mind. I had the pleasure back in like the early 70s when I was like, you know, little white-headed kid. When we would go see wrestling matches, they had them every week in Elkhart, Indiana. And Bobby Heenan was the manager Ooh, the brain. of the Blackjacks. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I was probably too young to appreciate entirely, but he's on that flair level of like, I mean, all right, y'all want to riot? I can probably do that for you. <laughs> just like performance art yeah, to its finest. My two forever, just the era of when I first came into it and stuff, it'll always be Rowdy Roddy Piper. 
You know, I love yeah. him. And then The Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, my God. The Ultimate. So, anyway, that yeah. was that was my jam. I know we got to stop at some point. But, <laughs> right, I don't know if I told this the last time I was here or not, but I haven't seen a wrestling match live in quite a while. But I think it was maybe the late 2000s or middle 2000s. They had a wrestling show over at the Tyson Building. Not long after it was built, you know, the track center. Mm-hmm. And it was more or less a WCW show. Oh, I know Booker T was there, Hall, Nash, you oh, know, wow. Steiners. Right, okay. but then they had some weird, different things in the undercard, and one of the persons on the undercard was Moon Dog Spot. All right, now they, you know, out of the Memphis territory, there was like Moon Dog Lex and Moon Dog Spot. You know, they dyed their hair white, they wore jean shorts and boots, and like bit on a bone coming to the. You know, they're like <laughs> supposedly some sort of deliverance type. You know. Rednecks, and shit. Wow. you know, and they were like, and they were like hardcore before there was really hardcore because okay. you know they throw like you outside more the than ring, bushwhackers, yeah, and then like. they you know hit you with a trash can lid or some shit uh. like that, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> but Moondog Spot was in WrestleMania one, and I went with my one Dripping Springs roommate, and uh, we, we had good seats for it. But then after the match, after his match, Moondog Spot would walk around the arena with a Polaroid camera and sell Polaroids of himself for five bucks. You know, get someone to take the picture, you know, be in a Polaroid with yeah. a spot for five bucks. I'm like, I'm going to do that. You know, and Sean's like, what are you wasting your time with that? I'm like, dude, he was in WrestleMania 1. Yeah. All right, now back then I was in a little bit better, far better shape than I was. I mean, I used to swim, lift five days a week, everything else. I was pre- pretty good shape at that point in time. And I go get my picture taken with Moondog Spot, and he's like, man, you got to get in this business. You know, and I'm like... It'd be a severe cut and pay for me, dude. You know, besides I'm pushing, you know, I'm in my 30s. I'm like, you know, somewhere around my house, I've got, you know, this Polaroid. That's awesome. I mean, Moondog Spot. Two weeks later, he's in Memphis and dies of a heart attack in the ring. Wow. In, in the, the ring. ring? In the ring. Yeah. Whoa. Because there's a video of it somewhere on YouTube where it's wow. like, you just see him like kind of looks like, you know, no one had done anything to him. It was like, you know, they had a mosh at the end of the some match. And then it's like he, you know, oh, yeah. Wow. Now... A few years later, they have a wrestling show over at the Asylum Springs Armory. Yep. When I used to play at Club West, there was a guy that would come out that, and he would always talk to me. And and he finally revealed to me that one of the things he did on the side, he was a wrestling man, uh, referee. Yeah. He would do like regional shows through the area, you know, refereeing. You know, his little guy, mustache, you know, porn stash and, mm-hmm. and all that. And he's <laughs> like, I'm like, that sounds really cool. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll copy a ticket, go out to the next week, go out to the Asylum Springs Armory. And it's like, you know, this promotion from Stillwell, you know, it's going to be a bunch of Indians. But, like, they brought in Greg the Hammer Valentine versus, well, it was King Mabel. The big, big black Big, huge dude. black dude, 500 pounds. Yeah. Oh. King Mabel was around, like, mid-90s or maybe late Early, 90s in WWE. Okay. He was, he would always wore, like, a big purple yeah there was like there, there was a group called suit. men of mom or something yeah, men on a mission okay. men on okay. a mission yep. you know, was mom he and he was king of the ring he was also he also turned into viscera viscera right well see because yeah, he was on his ministry. way to be viscera when he was there he okay. you know he'd, he'd been out of the wwe but was still traveling around with the crown being gotcha. king uh, okay so these local little things would get big people like that sometimes? Yeah, you know, you pay them enough money, they'll show yeah, up. Yeah, okay, I got and, you. Um, All right, I'm caught up. So, yeah, <laughs> and so, you know, he's he, you know, I got the, got there early, and, you know, and he's like, pay attention during the last match, you'll love the finish. I ain't telling you, just, you know, watch. <laughs> so, you know, I watch all the preliminary matches. You know, some, you know, some of those Indians were pretty good, you know. But yeah. then we get to, you know, Valentine and King Mabel. And um, 
I got a well, those Polaroids with King Mabel before the match. Sure. And somewhere it's around my house also. And it's like, you know, this huge brown spot with this really little white one towards the corner. And that's me. <laughs> that's how big this guy was. So, you know, they start throwing each other around. But, like, the, the ring starts falling apart. Uh. I mean, it was something else. I mean, like, you know, it's yeah, it was bad. Because at one point, I know Vizera body slammed valentine it went like bare plywood wow you know and and you could tell it was like all right time to take this thing home yeah so you know visit or mabel throws valentine into a corner and he's about ready to do the big splash yep. on him and at the last second valentine pulls my friend the referee in front of him oh my gosh squashes him and he goes down and you're like our house cards and he's selling it on the floor he's out cold and you know they're beating the hell out of each other and then you know after about five minutes and you know dude finally wakes up and Ring the bell, ring the bell, you know, and disqualifies Valentine for pulling him in front of him. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and I'm standing by the locker room door just watching this. I'm like, holy shit, you know. And, and, and you know, and you see him leaving the ring and he's limp and he's like, oh, oh, oh. And he gets right by the door where I'm at and it turns around to me and goes, <laughs> like that. And I'm winks like, at you. Winks at me. And I'm like, oh my God, you. I so mean, he sold it. He sold it. Yeah, I was that's just like, amazing. I was like, dude, you yeah. know. Yeah. 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 That's cool. But then Mabel goes to the WWE and becomes Viscera and dies of a heart attack in about a year. So note to self, you know, don't take any more Polaroids with people because... No shit. Yeah. Look, well, there's the death the of Mero. dog spot right there. I just found it on YouTube. He's yep. right over there in that corner. It shows him go down. That was him, right? Yeah. yeah. White-headed dude. Yep. Big old boy, white And it's funny because, you know, he yep. came from that age before all the roids and gym stuff. Yeah, he was yeah. just... So you look at him, it's like he just looked like some truck driver. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. a typhoon and earthquake. Yeah. The natural disasters. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we need a full wrestling episode. Now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, man. next time we're just doing that. That was the teaser. Yeah. Thanks for coming back and talking to us, Bruce. Man, always my pleasure. You know, I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> there is that. But I'm also usually my least favorite topic, too, but... The idea of, like, for example, writing all these short stories is yeah. done. It's like, no one is worse than myself than me. So I you know, write all these you know stories where I'm, chances are really good. I'm going to be embarrassed at the end of it, but, <laughs> but I don't care. It's like, yeah. you know, wow, did you really pass out in a Taco Bell wine? Yes, I did. <laughs> Wake up with a burrito? Yes, I did. You know. You've lived a life, sir. That's what that means. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> if I'd have known it was going to last this long, I'd have taken far better care of myself. <laughs> Well, all I can say is uh, for everyone to stay tuned for the wrestling edition. Yeah, it's a great episode. Bruce, thanks again. My pleasure. My pleasure, gentlemen. Good night to you all. Let me tell you about some fellas I know named Ivan, Sam, and Joe. They got themselves a little podcast, you know. And they talk about everything under the sun they find interesting, spooky, or fun. And they sure ain't trying to impress no one. The remedy to too much time on your hands is take a little listen to the dawn of Manti. We talk about killers, monsters, and cults. French mates from hell, disappeared folks. Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes. They try to make every story extra nice by adding their own ginger spice. Not one time or two, but thrice. 
Come on. 